Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church, and thank you for being in the house of the Lord this morning on this beautiful February day of 2014. I want to welcome everybody from SoundCloud, wherever you are all over the world, and I want to welcome everybody from YouTube, wherever you're coming from and you're watching this, this little show here, our, our, our little house church in McKinney, Texas. Um, Anybody that's listening on SoundCloud or YouTube, if you want, by the way, whether you know or not, we also have a website, it's gospelsavingchurch.com. And if this is your church per se, like if you don't have a home church and let's say you live in a country where it's not safe to go to church or wherever you are, uh, know that you can have church right on our website. You can go our, on our website, you can go on there. We have worship videos, we have spiritual awesome videos off of YouTube. So if you have access to that, if you have access to you know a computer and you can listen to our website, go to gospelsavingchurch.com and it's right there at the top. It's uh, worship videos and you go on and there's many spiritual encouraging uh, worship videos on there that you can go on there and listen to. And, and uh, that's what we do actually before we start our service. We open up with worship. We have a couple songs and we sing to the Lord together. We worship the Lord together and get our minds prepared, get our minds right to hear the word of the Lord. So I encourage you to go there and check us out. And of course, if you don't have a home church or God's calling you to come here and you live in the Dallas area, I would love to have you. Gospelsavingchurch.com for directions on there to the house, just a little house right now, a little family and lots of love and some coffee. So uh, anyway, we love you and we thank you for joining us wherever you are. And I welcome everybody in our home. Praise be to God, we're here. So let's pray real quick for our service and then I'll get to the title and we'll get to teaching. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer. Thank you, Jesus, so much for bringing us here because, Lord, like we said in our special Christmas message, Lord, Jesus, you are everything. Lord, without you, we couldn't even come to the Father. Lord, you said it. Jesus, without you, you, we could not come to the Father. John 14, 6, for I am the way and the truth and the life and no man, you say woman or child as well too, no man, woman or child could come to the Father except through me. So Lord Jesus, we know you are everything, Lord. And Lord, your word tells us in John, if we don't honor you, we don't honor the Father. Everyone who honors the Son also honors the Father. So Lord, thank you that we can come to you and come through and, and come to you and through you unto the Holy Father, our Father God, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, uh, Jehovah Rapha, all those, Lord. You are everything, the great I am, Lord. You are everything we need. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord God and Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, we welcome you into this place, our triune God, our three in one, our one in three. We welcome you here, Lord. We pray that you will open our hearts today, Lord God, in this home and open the hearts of all those that are listening online from SoundCloud or YouTube or GospelSavingChurch.com or wherever they've come from, Lord. Thank you for them too, Lord. Every precious soul is so precious in your eyes. and Lord, we love them all, Lord. I love them all, Lord. No matter what, Lord, we're called to love one another because you love. So, Lord, bless this message, bless this service. Bless our hearts, bless this time, Lord, open our hearts that we receive your truth, Lord, today, and that, Lord, that we would not just take your truth and do nothing with it, Lord, but we take your truth and, and go to the world, Lord God, and, and just proclaim your truth to whoever you give us opportunity to do that with. We love you, praise you, thank you, dear God. Bless this service. Keep the devil out, Lord, and all, his, all his, those that follow him. Set your mighty angels around everybody's heads and ears and eyes and the corners of this house, Lord, and the, the, everywhere everybody's listening from, Lord God. Set your holy angels around anybody that listens to this, Lord, that they'd be able to focus on your word and not all the thoughts of where are my keys or, wait, what are those things that I had to do today? Because, Lord, that's what that devil likes to do to us, Lord, when we're trying to focus on you. He tries to distract us with all the things that we're not supposed to be doing right now. The whole spiritual warfare that goes on, Lord. Thank you, praise you, bless you. May you be glorified and magnified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to be in verses 47 through 52, almost to the end of Matthew chapter 13. We have one little, little more segment from 53 to 58, and that'll be next week, most likely. But today, Matthew 13, 47 through 52. So I'm going to read it. The title of today's message is... Will you 
be thrown away. Matthew 13, 47 through 52. I'm going to read it. The Bible says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, have you, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, therefore, therefore, Every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Praise be to God. So, Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. Today we are finishing our kingdom of heaven parables in Matthew chapter 13. Remember we told you, that I just said last week, there are six total kingdom of heaven parables in Matthew chapter 13. And this is the last kingdom of heaven parable in this chapter, Matthew 13. Now, that's not the last one in the whole New Testament, but that's the last one in chapter 13. As I said again, verse 47, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a drag net. Now, for two weeks in a row before this week here, we studied two other sets of parables. Uh, first one was the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed slash leaven. That was two weeks ago, and last week, the, mustard, uh, the kingdom of heaven was like a treasure hidden slash a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And remember, we talked about that, about how there was no explanation. There was no spiritual understanding to those parables. Those parables were kind of like Jesus gave the parable, and then he moved on. He never told us what those physical parables meant in the spiritual. Okay, so we don't, to this day, know 100% what those parables meant in the spiritual. We know what Jesus said in the physical, but we do not know still to this day, and, no, and we won't know until the other side of eternity, what those parables meant. When we're sitting before God's throne and at the feet of Jesus, then we can ask him, Lord, what did the parable of the leaven mean? And what did the parable of the mustard seed and the, you know, the, the treasure hidden and the pearl of great price mean? And there's a lot of things in the Word of God. I would love to ask God when I get there because there's a lot of things in the Word of God that I just simply don't understand. I'm, I'm okay with saying that because God's greater than I and He knows lots more than I do and I'm okay with saying that. Now remember, we did go to the Bible and we did you know, look at parallel passages, parable, or, uh, par parallel ideas that were possible explanations, you know, and, and those are awesome. But remember I had said, we cannot say, thus saith the Lord, this is what this means because we didn't have Jesus explaining it. But that all changes today. Praise be to God, Jesus gave the explanation to this parable of the dragnet, although nobody asked him. Previously, at one point, when we read over in the New King James Version, it titled, and the New King James Version Bible titles it the parable of the terrors explained. The disciples came to him and said, Jesus, we, we don't understand. Can you please explain us to these parables? And then he did. But then others he didn't when they didn't ask. And so nobody asked here, but Jesus, praise be to God, gave us the explanation on what the parable of the dragnet meant. So as we already read, this parable, as we see in 49... It'll be at the end of the age. This parable is concerning the end of the world. Okay, Jesus gives us a picture of what the end of the world is going to look like. But this is a special picture. We're going to go other scriptures to find this out. Jesus gives us the explanation, really, and the idea of what not only the end of the world is going to look like, but the throne judgment, the great white throne, possibly a judgment, or nevertheless, a great judgment by Christ here at the end of days. And it's a picture, this parable is a picture of those that will and those that will not be and do well, I should say, in that judgment. Be those that will be cast away and those that will be gathered together into vessels, as Jesus said it in the parable, 
So let me get teaching this parable and we'll get down to the business and see exactly what Jesus has to tell us here about the end of the world. And we're going to look at the physical side of the parable and then we're going to break that down and we're going to look at the spiritual side of the parable and then we're going to we'll close it out with that. So we'll read verses 47 and 48 with me again. And let's look at the physical side of this parable and break them all down. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore and they sat down and gathered the good and the vessels and threw the bad away. As an FYI, just as a, as a hey, by the way, just so you know, God gave me the title for this message out of verse 48. And he took, gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. We're going to look at what it means to be thrown away, and we're going to look at what it means to be gathered into vessels. So first, what is the first physical detail that we see in verse 47? Jesus said, I said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. What is that? Is he, is he speaking something there, you know, like weird? Or what is he saying there? Well, I looked up the word, and the Greek word for dragnet in Strong's exhaustive concordance is sagane, or sagane, defined as a large fishing net, or a drag net. It's a net, you throw it in and you drag it. Simple. Merriam-Webster defines a dragnet as a net drawn along the bottom of a body of water. So yes, Jesus is talking about a simple dragnet, not using anything special, not trying to hide anything there, not trying to disguise anything, a simple dragnet. Fishermen use dragnets to catch fish. Uh, dragnets are just one of the ways that fishermen fish. Right? They throw the dragnet into the sea, they pull it along, they gather fish up, just like Jesus said here. It's very efficient and it's very effective. A dragnet works by throwing the net into the water and you're on a boat and as you troll the boat along, the dragnet catches everything that's within its path. Everything that's within that dragnet's path, if that dragnet is 20 feet wide, with that whatever's in 20, uh, 20 feet uh, distance or width of that dragnet, that dragnet's going to catch everything that's in its path. And I find it, God showed me this, it's no coincidence that Jesus used a dragnet to describe the end and describe what he's going to do and the angels are going to help him with and all that stuff because it's very efficient and very effective, and so is he. Amen. God is very efficient, and God is very effective in everything he does. So he uses the term dragnet because it is efficient, and it's kind of like what's going to happen as an idea of the end, but he is also very efficient and very effective. Second as physical aspect we see. Jesus says that this dragnet is cast into the sea and then it gathers some of every kind. Even Jesus declares here that a dragnet is very efficient and very effective. He just affirms what the physical law that we know even to today, because fishermen still use dragnets to this very day. Jesus affirms that dragnets right there are very efficient and very effective. So I didn't just make that up. Third physical aspect, verse 48, when the dragnet gets full, they bring it to shore. Okay, you see, once a dragnet gets full, as it's dragging along the bottom of the sea and it's picking up all the fish, think of a trash can when a trash can gets full. You can try to shove that trash down in there, you know, a little bit, but it's, it's all, as it gets too full, you can't put any more in there. And what starts happening? The trash starts falling out onto the floor. Well, the same thing with a dragnet. As a dragnet is pulled along the bottom of the sea, when it's full and it's, it's, got its, it's got its girth there and it's full of these fish, all that'll happen is that they keep pulling it, the, the fish will hit the stack of fish that's already on there and just fall off the side. So it no longer becomes effective and it has to be drawn up because if they don't, it's just a waste of time to keep pulling along the bottom of the sea. Once it gets full, they have to empty it. So that's what Jesus says they do here. Fourth physical aspect of this parable. After they bring it to shore, they sit down and they start separating the good fish from the bad fish or the good healthy looking fish and, and, or the bad sickly kind of, you know, unuseful fish. While they take out the bad or sick unusable and throw them away, they take the good and they gather them into vessels. Now that's in the parable 
real fishermen, they usually do this on a boat, if they're in a boat, and they generally don't throw the bad or unusable fish or sick fish away. They'll throw them back into the ocean and let the ecosystem work its way out. But notice here in Jesus' parable, in the spiritual aspect of things, that they get thrown away. Poor, unusable, sick catch. Wow. They get thrown where? Into the trash, of course. There's no other place that people throw things. Generally, they throw them into the trash. They throw them out on the side of the road, as we know people litter. But generally, if you're going to throw something away, people throw them in their trash can. When I use the term thrown away, what does it make you think of? Just think of it. If I say, ah, I had to throw that away, it makes you think of something useless something that you can't use something that it's you know you maybe used it for a while or maybe you found it and it's just no good i've i've done that before myself i've picked something up and when i looked at it i was like wow i see why they just threw it out and it's like gross i can't why did i even look at that that's disgusting so when you say the word thrown out you think of something that's been thrown out in the trash can something that's unusable what are some things that we throw out in our world today? People throw out all kinds of things. People uh, buy a can or a bottle of uh, soft drink, and they drink that soft drink, and when the bottle is unusable anymore, they either, they either take it to recycle and they recycle it, which is a type of throwing it away, or they throw it in a trash can. What's another thing that we may throw away? But notice that we only throw stuff away that's unusable, in a sense. We can't use it anymore, you would say. Another thing that we might throw away, I think of my wife cooking in the kitchen. And she gets a roast, she gets a big piece of meat. And what does she do? She goes through that piece of meat, and before she cooks it, she cuts off all the un undesirable parts of the meat, the fat, or maybe she takes out the bone, or, you know, the gristle, or the, you know, whatever. She takes out all the stuff that's not going to, we don't really want to eat after we're done, and she throws it in the trash can. What else do we think of when we think of things we throw away? Think of rotten fruit. Rotten fruit, pears or bananas that have been sitting on the counter too long. And maybe the, the little, I, I forget what they call them, the little flies that fly around and they get on them and, the, you know, they get to crawling in them. And then, you know, even flies will fly on there and they'll, they'll, they'll maybe eat it. And, and they get nasty and gross and disgusting and it gets brown and mushy and rotty. And you're like, oh, I don't want to eat that. Ugh. And, you know, you either throw that in a compost heap or you throw it away in the trash can. A lot of people in America don't have a composter, so they just throw it in the trash. But think about it. Ugh, gross. That fruit, nasty, gross. Or milk. Ever go to the fridge and open up that carton of milk? Oh, I just wanted a glass of milk all night long. And you go to pour that glass of milk and you're like, ah. And right before you drink it, you know your nose is a real good indicator. And you know, whoa. Whoa, what's, what's going on? Woo! You smell it again, and then you look at the expiration date, and it's a week past due, and you're like, oh, wow. Ugh. Ugh, if I drank that, it'd make me sick. Ugh. It's milk. It's gross. Yuck. And what do you do? You throw it down the sink, and you run a whole bunch of water down that joker so it doesn't smell up your whole house. Maybe put some Arm & Hammer, Hammer baking soda in there because it's, it's going to smell up your whole house if you don't get rid of it. And if you don't cleanse your drink, it smells, it's bad. And when you throw the bad away, all these things are sick or bad and you throw them away. So on the physical side of this parable, the good or healthy catch was saved. Saved into vessels. Remember that. While the bad or sick or unusable was cast away, Jesus said, or thrown away. And where? Into the trash can. They threw it away. Remember those physical ideas that Jesus gave here. Because as we move toward the spiritual side of the teaching and toward the end and everything we're going to look at, just keep those things in your mind that the good and usable and healthy were saved into vessels. And I highlight the word saved into vessels. While the bad or sick or unusable are thrown away. It'll be important, especially 
at the end of the sermon. So let's look at verses 49 and 50 again in the parable of Dragnet and see the physical ideas that we had in the Dragnet cross over into the spiritual realm. And let's see what Jesus has to tell us. Verse 49. So it'll be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, separate them, cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In verse 49, what are the aspects of the spiritual side of this parable that we see? As I said earlier in the beginning of the message, what do we see? I said that this message, is, this dragnet parable was for the end of the world. Verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age. Okay? So this parable of dragnet is a picture, like as I said earlier, of the end of all time, at the end of the age or end of the world. Second physical aspect, or second spiritual thing we see, Jesus tells us that the angels in this parable of the dragnet, they are the fishermen. Okay? And the dragnet that they're dragging along behind them are people that they are catching. In verse th or a second, third spiritual thing, once the people are caught, the angels separate the bad or wicked people from the good or just people. Now, I always have to throw this in there because God always compels me because in this, especially in our country today, we have this idea and this ideology of good versus bad. Oh, I'm, oh they're, they're a bad person. Oh, oh, they're a good person. Why did Jesus use the terms good and the terms bad in the physical side of the parables? Uh, you know, when speak, when the spirit, when the physical, when the spiritual side was concerning people. Well, you have to understand, there's no such thing as a wicked fish or a just or righteous fish. There are bad, disgusting, like unhealthy fish or unusable or unedible fish, and there are good, healthy, edible, good, delicious fish. So don't be mistaken into thinking, well, Jesus used the word terms good and bad, because, you know, if we go back again, I've run many people through this, uh, when we watch our movies, what is it all? It's never good versus bad. It's good versus evil. So again, and we see in the spiritual aspect of the parable, Jesus said that there's wicked and just. And he only used the terms bad and good to describe the physical side of the parable because he was giving us a physical idea of what the end of the world was going to look like. So bad and good were only for the fish, only for a catch, only for your you know, your, your meat or your things like that. They weren't for people. Okay, so don't mistake that. There are no such thing as good people and there are no such thing as bad people. Jesus said there's good or, or there's righteous or just people or there's, un, or there's wicked or unjust people. Let me find my place again. Excuse me. Thank you. And now verse 50. What does he say? Verse 50. What do we see in the spiritual aspect of the parable? The angels, as those fishermen, as they separate the wicked and the just, will take the wicked people and throw them away into the trash can, which is really the furnace of fire, okay, or hell or lake of fire, where Jesus says here in verse 50, where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But the just, he doesn't actually tell us the just, he tells us in verse 48, uh, the dragnet was full, they sat down, the angels did. Now we know that, that the ones that were fishing were the angels, they gathered the good into vessels, and those vessels would be eternal life. Those vessels that Jesus was referring to, even though in verse 50 he doesn't tell us that he took the good away. No, the good will be taken to heaven. The good will be on to eternal life, while the bad, while the wicked, while the unjust will be cast into the furnace of fire, will there be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So very sad that this will happen. So very sad that this has to happen. But nevertheless, I've had discussions about this in the past. If Jesus said it, it will come to pass. It won't be maybe. It will Come to pass absolutely. So to give us a better idea and a better picture of what the end will really look like, 
what this parable of the dragnet, that we can read these words in this section and think, oh, dragnet, you know, I don't know if I had a really good idea of it. Jesus actually had two other at least places that he talked about this exact same thing that's going to happen. But he used a little bit of different terminology in one, and the one is in the end. We actually get to see the nut and the bolt. We get to see the rubber hit the road. So I feel like God wants us to look those over briefly and give us a beautiful picture, a sad picture actually, of what the parable of the dragnet will look like all played out once the end hits. So if you guys want to go to Matthew 25, we'll be in verses 31 through 46. We're going to look at the parable of the dragnet just put in a little bit of a different way. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And I'm going to read it out of my Bible and you guys can follow along if you want. Jesus describes the end here, but he describes it a little bit differently. He kind of puts a little bit more emphasis on who the wicked are and versus who the just are. Verse 31 of Matthew chapter 25. Jesus says here, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit down on the throne of His glory. Notice there, it was very much like the parable of the dragnet. Notice that. Jesus comes, and there's people that go, and they go fishing, and they pull a dragnet along. And there's, those are the angels we know, like Jesus told us in verses 48 and 49, I believe. Then verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before Him. Well, who gathered those angels again? We know by the parable of the dragnet, the angels gathered all those people together before Him. And he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left hand. So remember, imagine, now we're looking at the parable of the dragnet, but we're looking at it, and what's really going to happen. All the angels are going to be there. They've drug all the people to shore. All the people... Anybody that's ever lived on the planet Earth is going to be there. And Jesus is going to be sitting on his throne with his angels there. And although the dragnet says that the angels will do the dividing, the angels actually listen to the master do the dividing, and then they divide for the master. Jesus doesn't get his hands dirty doing the dividing. He's, he's the master, and that's what he is. He deserves to be have people serve him, angels serve him. Verse 34, then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right hand. Now here's that dividing. Here's that some go into the vessels of, of honor, some go into the eternal life, and some go into the furnace. We're going to see just one, re one reason why some are going to be gathered into eternal life and some and most will be gathered into the furnace. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the eternal kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So now we got, notice the gathering of the just was first. Okay. 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you, were, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Notice that they were gathered together because of the just and holy things that they did. Salvation is not by works, the Bible says. But a saved person will do great things for God. We, don't, we are not saved because of those good things that we did. These just people that were gathered into eternal life aren't saved, weren't saved at the end because of those good things that they did. Well, rather, they were already saved and then they did those awesome, amazing, holy things for God. But nevertheless, God noticed and remembered. Now, this is the end of the world we know here, remember. This is the end of the world. God remembered thousands of years back all of what the just, or those that followed him, did. God never forgets. God remembers the good things that you do. And if you don't repent, He remembers the evil things that you do as well too. Verse 37, Then the righteous will answer Him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Stop there, verse 40. Just so you know, there will be people at this judgment from the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, all the way to the last person that's alive right now, then and there, and even all those dead in between. So, for instance, me and you to this day can't go see Jesus standing on the side of in prison and give him something, you know, help him out or give him something to eat if he's hungry because Jesus is alive, but he's not here in the flesh anymore. So the people that are saying, Jesus, when did we do this for you? He says, and then he answers them in verse 40 because they couldn't have done it to him exactly. But verse 40, he says, and the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Notice it was also not to just anybody, but it was to those that were his brother and those that followed Christ, not to just anybody. So this is what we see here. People that are following Christ are commended, and one of the reasons that they'll be led into eternal life is because they took care of and were concerned about the needs of others, Christians, that were in need. So that was something that God noticed. Verse 41, kind of the last part of our parable, the dragnet here. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed. So we already knew in the parable of the dragnet that they were wicked. But now he says, you cursed into everlasting fire. Look what was prepared for. Prepared for the devil and his angels. God, hell was not prepared for people, guys. It's because of people's stiff necks. Why they'll go there. But hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. 42, For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will also answer them and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, and you could say my brethren, because that's what he said earlier. So we know that's somebody that was walking with God, somebody that was God's child. You did not do it to me. And look what he says, verse 46, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's the same idea as the parable of the dragnet. It's just a little bit more detail on what that end time is going to look like. Now, while your mind is on and thinking of the end of the age, Christ coming with the angels, because that's where we just were, Sheeps and goats are evil and righteous people being separated before Christ during judgment. The angels moving some into everlasting fire and the angels moving others into eternal life. Come with me, Jesus said. The angels are going to gather those into the vessels of eternal life of heaven. And like I said, these are all aspects of the parable of the dragnet that we just read over. While you're thinking of those things, go to Revelation 19 if you want or listen along. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Revelation 19. And we're going to read it over. Now we're actually going to see this is a picture of the end of the world. Right before everything is rolled up like a scroll and it's, everything's all destroyed and Everybody's judged in the righteous to everlasting life and the wicked to eternal fire. Here we are, Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Now I saw heaven, this is John speaking, now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. That's Jesus Christ, by the way. He's the only one that's faithful, 100% and true. 100%. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, 
And His name is called the Word of God. John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word dwelt among men and became flesh. That's how we know in verse 13, this is Jesus Christ. None other. The resurrected Jesus Christ coming back for judgment on humanity. Verse 14, And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed Him and on white horses. Now out of His mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it He should strike the nations, and He Himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He Himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's another name for Jesus Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords. And he comes back this time with a sharp sword coming out of his mouth. And he strikes the nations. And his robe is, his robe is dipped in blood. Why? Because now he's not back as a baby in a manger. He's not back as peace, love, and no war. Now he's back, he says, it's time for judgment, people. It's time for me to come back to judge the world because of sin. So he goes through from 17 to chapter 20, verse 10, and he goes through, he'll reign for a thousand years. He's going to take Satan. He's going to bind him. He's going to throw him in hell for a little while after, for a thousand years. Satan's going to come back out and he's going to gather the nations, the armies, and all so on and so forth that are hating God because they had to live under God's rules for a thousand years. And they come out and you think, you, you think to yourself, if Christ were to reign right now for a thousand years, I would love it. I would be ecstatic. I praise God. Come on, Jesus. Rule the world now. Because he's not going to let no sin go on. He's going to stop all evils and he's going to force you to live righteously. But it wouldn't be a problem for me because I love righteousness. But you see, in this time, people are going to hate him. So Satan, as he gets out, he gathers the peoples and the armies of the world up and they actually come and they fight against him. So he destroys them all, even though you think they should love him. Because after all, he was just reigning over them. I mean, Christ Jesus, he is awesome. He's an awesome king. But they don't. Well, then the end, the end, the end. Christ crushes everything from verses or chapter 20, verse 7 through 10. He crushes everything, gets rid of everything. Lots of people are dead. And here's the great white throne judgment in chapter 20, verse 11. So I'm going to read this one again. And we're going to read about this same separation of the wicked and the just. And we're going to see here exactly what Christ said on that separation. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. Let's read it. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, excuse me, and then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Notice when Christ comes back, He's to be feared. Notice people aren't just going to be, oh, wow, Jesus, you're all about love. Wow, praise you, Jesus, you're all about love. Because now He comes back and people and everybody on the face of the planet flees from the side of His face. Because it's a terrible situation because they know what He's about to do. Verse 12, remember I told you, everybody that's ever lived on the face of the planet, you and me and you and everybody ever that's ever to live from Adam and Eve to whenever that day is, whenever that person that's living then, verse 12, and then I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. God keeps a record. God has books of all the things we've ever done. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So the things we've done, 
And we know by the Bible says, unless we've repented, unless we've truly turned away from those sins and we don't walk in them and live in them anymore, those sins that we've done in our past, even long after we're dead, are written in a book and reserved there for us for the great white throne judgment while they'll be opened back up and will be judged for those evils that we committed that we never repented of and we lived in willfully unto our deaths. Those things that we did will all be opened up in that book. It says here, verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades were delivered up, and the dead who were in it, and the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And death, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, because they've already been burning in hell since they died. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Notice, we, we didn't read it there, but notice those that were written in the book of life were ushered or gathered into the vessels of eternal life forever. Even though he didn't say it, why was the book of life there if there was nobody there that was written in it? So those that were standing there, both small and great, both, you could say, alive and dead. We're all judged at this great judgment. And we see the separating. We see those that weren't written in the book of life were gathered together and they were thrown into the eternal torments of hell. While again, the righteous, written in the book of life, were gathered up and ushered into eternal life. So I hope these parallel Scriptures give you a good idea of what the dragnet event will look like when you get there. Because we'll all be there. Everyone that's ever lived on the planet will all be at this great judgment. And just like Jesus said in the dragnet parable, some or the just, the ones written in the Lamb's book of life, will be gathered into vessels or eternal life with Christ Jesus and God. While others, the majority of the people, I might add, in the face of the planet ever, or you could say the wicked, will be thrown away into the trash can or cast into the lake of fire forever, where Jesus said, going back to our parable at our dragnet, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. Wow. People, this event is absolutely no joke. Christ is not fooling around when it comes to sin and judgment. He's going to gather those that He considers to be righteous together into eternal life to be with Him forever while he's going to gather those that he deems or considers wicked together. And he's going to throw them into the trash can or the lake of fire. Remember when we looked at the parable or the, the teaching that he taught about the end, about the sheeps and the goats, and the people that were there that were his were actually surprised. When, when did we ever do that for you? We don't remember when you were We never met you that we could give you these things. We, we, what? What? They were kind of shocked that he said that. See, because he deemed them righteous for doing that. They didn't even realize, maybe, that that was something that God found pleasing. But Jesus did, and he deemed it righteous and worthy, and therefore those people got eternal life. All I can say is, wow, to all that we just read, wow! Wow. So we must ask ourselves some eternal questions. As we've read these scriptures, we must ask ourselves some eternal questions. Number one, does Jesus Christ consider you and me just and righteous? And on that great day of judgment, Will he gather you and me into eternal life with him? Or 
Does He consider you and me evil and wicked? And on that great day of judgment, will He gather us up and throw us into the fiery furnace? Verse 50 of our parable that a dragnet. Notice the questions were not. This is what God showed me when I was preparing for this. Notice the questions were not. Do you think that you are just slash righteous and will inherit eternal life? Or do you think that you are wicked or evil and will be thrown into the lake of fire? Notice I didn't ask you those things because really, in essence, I'm not your judge and neither are you my judge and none of us are going to judge one another. God is the only just and just judge. And so therefore, only God's consideration of where we're at and what we're doing should we be looking at is to see is, are we righteous or are we wicked? Because we have to be careful about our judgment on one another and even our judgment upon ourselves. Why? Why would you say, Pastor, why would you say that? The Bible, and yes, the Bible does say that we ought to watch ourselves and examine our lives and so on and so forth. But we can also be deceived very easily. Solomon writes in Proverbs 26, most men will proclaim each his own goodness. Who can find a faithful man? So because people easily, trust me, I've been ministering on the streets for a lot of years. Over, over 10 years I've done ministry on the streets all over the country. People easily proclaim their own goodness. We cannot trust our own judgment on ourselves a lot of the times. Because we can easily deceive ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, God says of people, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. God says of us that our own hearts can easily deceive us. So we need to be careful as to how we're judging even ourselves because we can easily be wrong. Because as Solomon writes, each man will proclaim his own goodness. And again, 14 years, 10, 12, 14 years I've been ministering on the streets and most people, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I, I heard of a study one time that they did. Some guys went into a prison and they were asking some of the murderous inmates, hey, Joe, Bob, or Larry, uh, do you think you're a pretty good person? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they said, well, well, sir, your record shows you've murdered five people. How can you call yourself a good person when you've murdered five people? And they would say, oh, well, yeah, I'm not as bad as Bob down there. He murdered 20. You see, he, Jesus said even if you hate a brother without a cause, he considers that murder. So we have to be real careful how we judge ourselves because our hearts can easily, very easily deceive us. God Almighty is going to be our judge. So we need to be concerned about what He and Jesus Christ sees in us and what He says of us. So how will you, ask yourself, how will you fare on that day of judgment in God's eyes? And how do you know? It's really actually very easy. God gave us something called the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Bible, to be able to know what's the truth about that and what's not the truth about that. So what does God's Word say as to who will be thrown out and who will be saved? This is the multi, I think you guys are going to get a kick out of this. This is the multi-eternal dollar question, folks. Not multi-million dollar. That's too small. Or multi-billion dollar. Or multi-trillion dollar. Because those amount of monies, they don't even matter in eternity. So this is the multi-eternal dollar question. Because it's a question that you'll have to live with for all eternity. And that's how important this question is, is that you will live with whatever 
you find within yourself today if you don't change it for eternity. If it's good, that's great. If it's bad, then it's not so good. So let's look at the multi-eternal dollar questions. What does God's word say as to who will be thrown away and who will be saved? What does Jesus say? What does the Bible say? John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter or see, excuse me, he cannot see the kingdom of God. These are all, where are we at? Are we going to be gathered up? And will we be in the vessels? Will we be the ones that God gathers up and takes to eternal rest with Him? Or will we be thrown into the furnace forever? Jesus said at first, you must be born again or you're not even going to see, or you can say enter the kingdom of God. Verse 3-5, Jesus answered, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, because what is flesh can inherit the things of God. What is flesh can't go to heaven. Only what is the Spirit. So either one is born again or one is not born again. But being born again is how we know if we can enter eternal life and will be gathered together up into the vessels and brought unto heaven. How do we know? How do you know? If you're born again, how do we become born again? We've got to go back to the word of God. John 7, 37 through 39. Jesus stands up on that day. He says, it's the great day of the feast. And Jesus stands up and cries out saying, if anyone thirsts, notice they noticed that they were thirsty. They noticed they had a need. If anyone thirsts. Let him come to me and drink. But he says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, notice it's not just any belief. Notice it's just not whatever belief we want it to be. Because we can have a lot of beliefs. I believe in the sun and the moon. I believe in gospel saving church. I believe in the trees outside. I believe in the planet earth. But that's just a belief. But notice he says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, it's a special kind of belief. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So if we know that just not regular belief is what Jesus was talking about there, because it had to be those who believe in me as the Scripture says, not just as I deem to be a belief, but those that believe in Him as the Scripture says, out of His heart will flow rivers of living water, then that means that the type of belief that we have is very important, and the type of belief that we have will actually dictate whether or not we're born again or not. So what does it mean according to Jesus? According to the scriptures, according to what they have said, according to Jesus' own words, what kind of belief is he talking about? Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, who, who is anyone? Think in your mind right now, who is anyone? If anyone, desires to come after me, let him. Well, anyone is everyone that wants to. Anyone that desires to come after Jesus, let anyone who desires to come after me, Jesus said, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Notice it wasn't just any kind of belief. Notice it wasn't just a belief that I have of uh, my car in the driveway or, or my house that I live in. Or it was, it, this is a special belief. This belief, Jesus says here, should cause you to deny yourself. What does that mean? To turn away from the sinfulness that you are, that we are, because we are all sinful. We are all wicked. That's the way we're born. He says it first right off the bat. Deny yourself. 
Deny yourself the things that you actually want to do. Deny those things. Don't live sinfully. Get away from things that I hate. Stay away from sin. Deny yourself. What does he say next? Take up your cross. Well, the cross was only used for one thing in Jesus' day. And that was execution. You would die once you got on the cross. So deny yourself unto death. Deny your flesh and the fleshly sinful things you want to do daily unto death. And then he says, and come, follow me. That's what Jesus said as to what it means to have a true belief. And then he goes on to say verse, or further in verse 25, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When you surrender, when you believe and when you trust and when you surrender your life unto him, when you decide I'm going to lose my life unto God, I'm going to lose my life in God. Then Jesus said that you'll gain it. But if you want to gain your life on this earth, if you want to live for you and live for the things that you want, he says that in eternity, you'll actually lose your life because you want to live for you. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And if you want it simpli sim in simplicity, if you want it simply, what does it mean? I, what does it mean? I got to know, Pastor. What does it mean simply? Well, those things are kind of complicated. Making a decision daily, purposing in your heart daily as you wake up to surrender your life and the control of it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That means you decide every day, I want to get up. No, today is a day God is going to let, I'm going to let God reign in my life. He's going to do the things that He wants to do in me, and I'm not going to stop Him. Deny self. Turn away from your sinfulness. Making that decision, I don't, I hate, I hate sin, I, you know, I don't even want to, sin drives me away from God, the Bible says, and I don't want to sin anymore. Jesus says, then be holy, for I am holy. Trusting in Him. Putting your trust in Him for everything. And for your salvation, for your daily life, for your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, Jesus said. S -s Trusting in Him for everything. Putting all your trust in Him. If you've sinned, to forgive you of your sin. If you're in need for whatever need you have. For whatever issues or problems that you're having in your life, trusting in God to deliver you from them all. And living your life in a way as such as that you love it. Not, not by your words. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you, God. But then going out and doing what your own thing. Showing Him that you love Him by the way that you live your very life. By the words that you choose to allow to come out of your mouth and by the actions that you allow your body to do. Loving Him by living for Him by actions, <laughs> not by your words only. Sadly, many people in this country, in America, believe themselves to be saved. Believe themselves to be on that path of salvation. But yet they do not hold their lives. They're deceiving themselves. They do not hold their lives up against what the Bible says, how a person that follows Jesus Christ, what it really means to have a true saving knowledge, a true saving belief of Jesus Christ. They believe themselves to be saved because they've prayed some one-time prayer thing. 
And they have some type of belief in Jesus. But it's not the one according to the Scripture. Like Jesus said, those believing me, according to the Scripture. And they reject Him. And they reject the things of the Bible. And they reject the ways that God told them to live. They live their lives full of their own sinfulness and their own sinful ways with no regard to holiness or purity. No regard to how God said for them to live. But by golly, I prayed a prayer one time and I believe in Jesus, therefore I am okay. The Bible says that if you don't obey God's Word, if you don't obey God, you don't obey the things that God told you to do. And if you want to live for yourself, then you're showing God that you don't love Him. You're showing God simply, I'm in control and I want to live for me. I'm all good. God, I'm all good. If that's you today, and you can look at your life honestly and say, you know what, I really don't live for you, Jesus. I really don't live for you, dear God. I don't, I can't believe it. I, I, I don't even know what your word says. How, do I, how am I supposed to live for you? And you believe in your own goodness, as Solomon said you would. And your life doesn't line up with God's word, the Bible. And your lifestyle doesn't resemble how Christ Jesus lived and how He gave us a pattern of how we're supposed to love God. And I stand here and tell you today, like many won't in this country today, that you are deceiving yourself. And God knows your goodness or your wickedness. I may don't. I may not. But God does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if he deems you not to be righteous on that day of judgment, if he deems you to be a wicked, to be a bad fish, then he absolutely will, as we read, cast you into hell or the lake of fire forever. And ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. In verse 50, where there'll be wailing or weeping and crying. Think about what it means to cry. Think of how exhaustive it is to cry, how saddening it is to cry, how much it takes out of you to cry. Think of that. Well, the Bible says that in hell and the lake of fire, you'll be wailing and weeping forever. Well, you'll be wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in Revelation, it says, where the worm will never die and the fire will never be quenched. Examine your life today, please up against God's Word, not up against your own idea of what you think is good. Because unless you're perfect, like Christ Jesus was and is, then you can't attain eternal life on your own. Ever. But He came and paid the penalty to give all eternal life as we spoke in communion before we had church. It was His body that was broken for your sin and His blood that was shed for your sin, not mine and not your own. We are not worthy on our own and we are not good. No one is good but God alone. No one is good. If you realize that that's you today, I ask you and plead with you, and so does God through me, please come to Christ today and thirst for His living water that is constantly flowing from Him. And drink from Him. And surrender your life to Him before it's too late. And give Him control. Anybody, wherever you're at, if you realize that's you today, ask yourself one question. What one thing are you let, letting stop you? What senseless one thing are you letting stop you from surrendering your life and your heart to Christ today? Because you'll remember that one that's stopping you from taking God's awesome, amazing, eternal life that, you, that He has for you forever. Because whatever one or two or three or ten things that those are, while you say, well, I, I just can't do it, Pastor Ed. I just can't do it. It's just because of this. 
What one thing, because you'll remember that one thing forever if you don't ever come to God. And that that one senseless thing cost you accepting all the riches and glory and honor that God has for you waiting. That he's wanting to give to everybody in eternal life. But you'll miss out on eternal life and all the goodness that God has for you because of one thing. Well, because of that, I can't come to God. You're going to remember that one thing for all eternity. If I only just wouldn't have let that one thing stand in my way, I could have had God's eternal reward. Now I've given myself this. Please come drink of the living water that Christ has for you today and surrender. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, for this word, Lord. Thank you so much for your grace and thank you so much for your goodness, Lord, that you continue to give people of this world and give the people that are going to hear this message and give the people all over the world, wherever they are, another day of your grace, another day to say, Lord, I, you're giving us another chance, Lord. You've given us another chance to come to you, another day that we're alive. Second Peter says, consider the long-suffering of the Lord's salvation. The fact that he hasn't crushed everybody at birth because we were all wicked when we were born is just a sign of his grace and a sign of his mercy, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray right now for anybody listening that realizes that they're in that category where they're going to be a goat. They're going to be separated into eternal fire and flames forever where there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Worm will never die and the fire will never be quenched forever, Lord. If they realize that today, I pray you give them the courage to matter whatever one thing or five things or ten things that they may have right now is why they can't make a decision for you. I pray that you'd show them that all those things are like nothing. All those things are like molehills that they're making into mountains because they're really not as important as they thought they were, in the scheme of eternity. Lord, for those out there right now, Lord God, who aren't yours, and they're deceiving themselves into thinking that they are yours, I pray, dear God, that you would open their eyes by this message and show them, dear God, if they're not born again, if they're not loving righteousness, if they're living in sinfulness and willful sinfulness, if they're living for themselves and not for you, if they're living for the flesh and not living unto the Spirit, Lord, they shall not inherit the kingdom of life if they're not taking up their cross, denying themselves and following after you daily, living as such Jesus Christ as you lived, then they're not walking with you and your blood does not cover them and they'll stand before you on judgment day with no covering and they'll be ushered off into eternal hell and burning flames and fire forever. And I pray, dear God, that you would open their eyes by this message. And I pray, dear God, that you would draw them to Christ and save their souls. In Jesus' name I ask all these things. Amen.